0: you are listening to season two of the not neurotypical podcast. I'm your host, Laura Stan. And season two is all about my continued late diagnosis journey, finding my voice and figuring out what the heck to do now. So strap on your safety belts, hold on tight, because it's still going to be a bumpy ride. This episode is proudly sponsored by Timo, the award-winning app designed to support neurodivergent people with routine and scheduling. Head over to your app store and type T-I-I-M-O to learn more. Okay, y'all, it is episode 20. I don't even know. It's probably episode 20. It could be 25. It could be 15. It could be 50. I am drowning. (laughs) I don't even know what to say. This is the crazy part, okay? I have already recorded like three episodes in the last month because it's been about a month since i put out a podcast. And I just can't put them out. I don't know. Maybe I don't love the content. I don't know. Maybe it was forced. What's my problem? I don't know. But here I am recording an episode. And for some reason, I know I'm going to release this episode. But the other episodes were a struggle. And then I kind of got back into the YouTube game, but I didn't really. (laughs) I just started recording stuff and then not really doing anything with it. I've had the weirdest last month. I can't even fully explain what's going on. But for some reason, as usual, I feel like you're going to relate because you guys really relate to everything. It's pretty amazing. Like, I I don't know. I never thought people would relate to me. Uh, And honestly, it's the only thing keeping me going right now with all of this stuff. And I really don't want to be a Debbie Downer, even though that's kind of the role I've always... (laughs) Assumed in any like friendship or relationship or anything. Um, I've always seen it as realism, but most people don't. I always thought it was just like optimists that couldn't handle the truth, but I do think that I have a pessimistic streak in me but I also think that's trauma response, but you've heard all about that because I've already info dumped about that in like episode, last episode. <laughs> yeah, so that's where I was, and honestly, I have not worked on any of that since then uh, because it hurts too much. It's too hard. There's too much going in the on in the world right now for me to dive into dealing with my trauma response or just like thinking about tr- the trauma I faced and dealing with that right now. Um, everything is even more, I don't even know how this is possible, but I just want to take it. I've really tried not to talk about coronavirus too much because it's just all everyone's talking about it. And I'm sick of it, but I need to info dump or just like dump on you. I mean, I've always said that I do this just for therapy. Like you guys are my fake therapists. <laughs> but um, I don't know how it feels even more uncertain now than it did a couple months ago when I was podcasting and and trying not to talk about it too much, but saying that everything felt so uncertain and that's what was so hard for me it's not hard staying at home it's like not knowing how long I have to stay home or or how long my kids are going to be stuck at home and not being able to do parks and playgrounds with the kids and get outside and it's not that we don't get outside we do it's just the fact that all of these assholes that never even went to parks before they're all going to parks because there's nothing else to do and making it so that it's unsafe because it's so crowded that I feel like I can't even go to parks with my kids and have my kids run around in a safe place because I live in an urban city, Philadelphia, in the city where there's no way you can be outside of your house and stay six feet away from people because then you would be in the street. I mean, the sidewalks and, you know, there are, I don't know, the average sidewalk, there's only like, four feet of space to walk so there's just like no way you can stay six feet away from people when you're trying to social distance and then now it's I called it you know that pattern recognition thing that annoys everyone but you always know you're right and you're just right that's what we have. That's our superpower is being able to see when things are going to go wrong before everyone else can. (laughs) And often it's it's seen as pessimism or all this other stuff. But you know what? I'm always right, even when I don't want to be. But it's my superpower. So it's what I do. I tell the future, I let people know every time (laughs) something's going to go wrong. Not everybody, only the worthy people, which right now is like, honestly, just my husband and the three people I talk to regularly online. But (laughs) I saw all this coming. What the heck am I even talking about? But anyway, I, I saw this coming when about a month ago, two months ago, I did shut off at some point. And then when I kind of came back on, when I felt like I could handle like researching data and all of that related to coronavirus, I did a lot of research and I took in a lot of information because that's what I do when I'm a little bit anxious. I need to understand by just swallowing all the data I can and then absorbing it and getting all the nutrients out of it and processing it and putting it in a way in, into my filing cabinet which is my brain that I can take from it at a later time and literally that's pretty much exactly how the system works for me of absorbing information but I called it I did all this information and I told my husband that you watch I told him first of all Philadelphia we have a lot of summer tourism around here and America does in general, but we are by the Jersey shore and summer culture and beach culture and all of that is huge around here. Not only is it huge though, people I would say most millionaires in the area have money in the summer tourism culture that's around here or the summer culture of the beach and boardwalk and all of that. That's huge around here. And I told my husband two months ago, I said, there's no way that this is going to all going to be ready for us to reopen, at least in this area safely by summer. But you watch, they're going to reopen because I would say probably a lot of politicians around here have their hands in summer tourism and all of that. If not summer tourism directly, just summer activities. Like for one thing, like construction, a lot of that is done more in the summer. There's so much about the economy, which, by the way, is a special interest of mine. Certain things related to it, not like everything, but I know a lot more than the average person about economies and how taxes work and all of this other stuff and I'm not going to go too far into that but I knew that these assholes were going to reopen when it's not quite ready and that's what's happening right now and it's making me feel even more anxious and uncertain and as much as I want everything to return to a a place where my kids can go to playgrounds again because we don't have a big backyard. We have a little tiny concrete backyard because living in the city, you're always like, Oh, well, you know, we just, uh, we have playgrounds block away and everything's close. So it's not that big of a deal, but it is in a coronavirus quarantine world. It's been a very big deal and it's been really hard. If my kids had a yard It would make it so much better for them, but for me as well, especially right now. And they're talking about reopening everything. The beaches are reopening. Philadelphia officials are telling Philadelphians, please, please do not go to the beach. It's not safe. You better believe I'm not going to the beach. Although it's something I look forward to every year, big time. I am not happy. (laughs) that they are actually reopening, and I feel like I still can't go. It's just very odd. But above all that, it's just really odd the way the whole world is ignoring what's going on and just kind of reopening and going back to normal. But the thing that worries me the most is that the last time coronavirus came around, and we didn't have a vaccine, which was the Spanish flu, they called it, there was three waves of it. And it's almost like they're begging for a second wave. What I mean by wave is, without a vaccine, a virus like this sweeps through, and, you know, we've had all of this crazy... uh, things going on where we have to stay home. I mean, we've been quarantined here in Philadelphia for nine weeks and we still are technically. They're saying maybe some reopening June 1st. I don't know if that's going to happen. That's like about two weeks away. We will see, but the second wave of the Spanish flu, which was a coronavirus, by the way, I think the exact same coronavirus that is currently going through right now, The second wave was the deadliest. The second wave was the worst one. So I'm just wondering why we are opening ourselves up to a second wave so easily. And I don't know. I think autistic people have this beautiful thing about them that we can get through these hard times we would rather do this the right way because the certainty and the history that we have can go with our pattern recognition and we can say, you know what, this sucks, but let's do this the right way. And it just seems to me that neurotypical people are incapable of sacrificing a little bit of comfort for doing something the right way. And that is so frustrating for me. And I know it's so frustrating for so many other autistic people. Um, I would say a lot of my meltdowns as a kid was people doing things in a way that I didn't see as correct. And I was seen as very difficult and very uh, aggressive, I guess I would be seen as, but it's that same thing that I've always had where it's like, let's just do this the right way. And I've been just kind of combating that lately. And it's really frustrating that we don't have a vaccine and the world is like reopening when we know what's going to happen. It's happened before. We know there's going to be a second wave. It blows my mind. I think about the fact that everything reopening in June around here and opening us up for a second wave is almost like guaranteeing that my son's not going to go back to school in person in September. And he's going to be crushed. And I love my son being home with me a lot. I don't love schooling from home. But it's been lovely getting so much time with my son. Because uh, me and his dad divorced. um, And I was like 29. So I guess like six years ago. And or maybe almost seven years ago. I don't know. It's been a while. But since then, we've had split custody. So what's kind of happened is I've had him during the week and his dad has had him every weekend. And what's happened, especially during the school year, is that he goes to school and then I do all the non-fun stuff with him, which happens so often with moms. We get stuck with the dirty jobs and making sure the kids do everything they need to do. Um, And when I say moms, I say that in a way that any gender or person who identifies that role of kind of the more of the caretaker. Um, they get stuck with doing the not as fun things and making sure school is done and all of that. And then my son goes with his dad every weekend and they just do fun stuff. <laughs> and then he comes back and and it's not fun and he is school and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, having him so long during the week in the school year has been lovely and I've loved it. I have not loved schooling, schooling from home though. I never liked school. I don't (laughs) want anything to do with school anymore. Uh, but when you have kids, you don't have that option and you want your kids to be successful. So you just put that aside And a second wave pretty much guarantees that's going to continue and we're going to go back into quarantine until we get the vaccine and uh, the U.S. talking some big crap about having a vaccine out in record time and all that. Yeah, I'll believe that when I see it. I hope so, but I'll believe it when I see it. But anyway, let's move on because I am just droning on and on here about coronavirus but honestly it's just like what I've been thinking about lately and it's very frustrating and I don't see a lot of social distancing and I own a business that is not currently running and I wonder is my business going to make it and the only reason I am able to hold out for it is that my husband has a good job and and he's an essential worker so we we don't have to worry but so many people have to worry about that and so many people are without a job right now and there is not even a possibility they're gonna now have to all fight for jobs and if you are a minority group of of person or disabled or anything like that, and you just lost your job, you know, it's going to be 10 times harder for you. And I'm so lucky that doesn't apply to me. But my heart just aches for people because I, I have been there. Um, I grew up dirt poor. And I don't say dirt poor in the way that white people say that. Um, I grew up living in a car at times. Most of the time living with other family members, not even having my own space, sharing a room with my parents, living on couches as a kid, um, lived with both sets of grandparents at some point, moved like 20 times until my dad would get us kicked out of that house and we'd go with another family member. I mean, you know, like real, real poor, like actually poor, like no money, no house, pretty much homeless. And it was all a secret too, by the way. My father, who is no longer on this earth, thank goodness. And I mean that when I say that. So if you think I'm harsh, it's real. I'm just being real with you. And I am harsh, but that's my draw, baby. (laughs) Um... For real, though, I grew up dirt, dirt poor, and I went into, truly went into adulthood not knowing my real challenges, and being dirt poor already, I had no fear of not having money. I don't know why. I still don't either. I have absolutely no money skills. I don't care about money. I don't, I like making money, don't get me wrong, but that isn't a motivator for me. I do find that I'm happiest when I'm productive, doing something I love and making money, those three. When I'm doing all of those things well, I seem to be happiest, but I don't know. Money is just not the motivator. Money is like the side benefit. (laughs) I just don't care about it. I also don't understand money consequences. I always feel like I'm so resourceful that I'll just work it out. And I know that's a whole bunch of executive dysfunction and probably trauma response and probably all the other crap I've been uncovering. Ugh, this journey is so exhausting, y'all. So exhausting. I don't even know. I just... I'm disillusioned. I'm disillusioned. There was a couple months, like the first month or two of all of this, when I started this late diagnosis journey, it was really hard. And it was like unlearning the ableism and internalized ableism that I was living with. So it was getting over that and it was learning to deal with Who I really was, learning to accept who I really was, which after getting rid of the internalized ableism or at least greatly reducing it, I I think that actually getting rid of internalized ableism is going to take years, but greatly reducing it has opened the door to accepting myself in a lot of ways, in great ways and doing it pretty quickly Um, and then you enter a dream world that's not real because, I mean, it might be real for some people, but for me, it was just online. It's not in real life. It was a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful idea, and I was going to be an advocate, and I was going to crush the world, and I was going to take over and show the world all of the beauty of neurodiversity and all of that not that I'm not going to do that, but I don't know. It was, it was this dream. It was like living a dream. I had found a community and I was going to do all I could for them and and for myself and for my kids. And, and that lasted a while. And then there were some weird dark moments as an advocate, uh, with other advocates and all of this other stuff and, and kind of navigating that. And then I don't know, you hit this point where you're like, why am I even doing this? I know that sounds really horrible. But is my message really getting out there? I know I'm really helping people by sharing. And you guys have really shared that. And it helps me to hear that. And and I'm happy. And I'm not talking about the podcast when I'm talking about any of this because the podcast has truly changed my life and given me a creative outlet that is unlike any other thing I've ever done. And I really appreciate that. And you being here listening really means a lot to me. But when I'm talking about all this, I'm more talking about like social media advocacy and the layers of bullshit that you have to swim through with every post like once you get over like 5,000 followers it's a shit show like honestly I, I just can't even I'm sorry I usually like keep these clean I definitely curse quite a bit in real life but social media advocacy is so much fucking bullshit. I, I, I just have to say it because it's just like, okay, in a neurotypical world, I can be myself. I can totally be myself. That's up to me. Like no one, I mean, some people in, in, a, in general terms, I could go out and do pretty much whatever I want. And some people may make fun of me or I might hear some comments, but is that really a big deal? Uh, for some people it is, but for the most part, if it's not people that you really care about, it's like, okay, whatever. Okay. Boomer, you know, it's just like that whole thing, but okay. That's a neurotypical world. Maybe I don't want to deal with the comments. So maybe I won't do that. No harm, no foul. Okay. Okay. On social media, every post is just kind of preaching to the choir. Everyone, I don't know how to say this without just sounding like a total jerk. But this is just how I'm feeling. And it's probably not the end of my thought. But, you know, I just always sound negative. But everyone's like fighting for status or something. And in a neurodivergent community, let me tell you, it's a lot more harsh than the neurotypical one in some ways. Because in the neurotypical world, they just don't get it. And that sucks, and abuse at times can come from that. But for the most part, it's just a disconnect, right? But in the neurodivergent social media advocacy world, people get it. And they just disagree. And for some reason, that's like a whole big thing. And then they don't just laugh or make a joke or just dismiss you like on a one-off, like yeah, whatever, everyone kinda deals with that, you know, the the silly, like ridiculous neurotypical dismissiveness. It's like deep and dark and people get really angry at you if you say something that doesn't align with their life. Even if you're just sharing your life and you get attacked for just the weirdest stuff. Someone bought me fake followers to try and get Instagram to delete my Instagram page, which was really funny. Uh, But like really just like absurd stuff. And they messaged me. I don't know who it was. They made a burner account and messaged me. I mean, I know who it was, but it was anonymous. So they didn't come out and say it but it's the same old troll that has no life and has developed some weird obsession. Ugh. Anyway, uh, they said, we don't like your advocacy and we don't want you. So we're going to get rid of you. Just like really weird. I mean, and that's not even, that one just kind of made me laugh. Like, honestly, it was hilarious, but it goes so much further beyond that. Um, I've had... People steal my quotes and put their autistic kids' faces on it and totally change the meaning and warp the meanings of of my words. And I don't know. Who am I advocating for? Is it myself? Is it my kids? Is it the community as a whole? And if so... What the hell am I doing it for on social media? Because it's just preaching to the choir. I don't really think I'm reaching the people that really need to hear a lot of the content. I mean, the podcast is different, like I said, because I'm sharing my late diagnosis journey and most of the people who listen are late diagnosed people or people just struggling in a neurotypical world into adulthood. So we kind of share all that, and I get that. And I'm really not doing as much advocacy work with the podcast. It's really just sharing my journey. But I don't know. I'm disillusioned. I don't know what I'm doing on there. So I'm just kind of taking a break, maybe forever. (laughs) I don't know. I've developed a good following on Instagram, and I'm happy about that. I've had a couple posts. Twitter posts lately that I share in picture form on Instagram go viral on Facebook so I've kind of gained a following there which is cool um but I've just never cared about a following I've cared about like my words getting out there but I don't really like the thought like I've never wanted to be an influencer I don't really like that kind of attention at all um I actually dislike influencing and would never do it. <laughs> that's just not my thing. Like I can share. And that's my issue with YouTube. Like I don't want to be a face of something. I don't want to be, uh, I don't know. I just don't really, that's not my style. I would, I've always been the person in the back. I'm just not the person in the front. That's just not who I am. Um, I don't really know why, but I would love to make more. I don't know. I think I'm going to go deeper. I'm, I'm just facing, I have a feeling there's a season three coming here because I am just a different, I don't know. I'm changing a lot. I'm very unsure of where I'm going right now I have some things in the works some big things and I will say that they are all aimed at either late diagnosed or neurodivergent adults and all about helping them grow and you know do this better than I did and just helping out with all of the resources I've found and all of that but I don't think social media advocacy is for me because it's just a game I'm not into. There's too much uh, elementary school. (laughs) I'm way too old for that. You young kids can take over social media advocacy and run with it. Uh, Feel free to... Take my words and do whatever with it because I'm I'm just too old for it, and I will still use social media to share thoughts or share what I'm up to and all of that. But uh, this, you know, worrying about it, I'm over it. I'm so over it. But speaking of that, I do have like really cool things planned, um, and I do want to be creative. And everything I've honestly, since my diagnosis, everything I've done, I've wanted to just help neurodivergent people because I'm, I'm one of you. I'm, I'm, I'm hurting. I'm still hurting so much. And I kind of mentioned like at first it was all about unlearning ableism, right? And, and getting rid of my internalized ableism which I'm definitely still working on. But a lot of that work was done right away because it was like, I'm either going to run from this and be ashamed of myself, which was, uh, I don't know. It was a possibility of something I could have done. I totally could have gone that direction. I had to fight to not go that way. honestly, but I knew I couldn't. I knew I had an autistic son already. And then I ended up having two girls that are autistic, that are toddlers that were diagnosed. And I knew I couldn't go that way. Um, Not just for me, for them. And I knew it it was wrong. I knew it was wrong. So I did not let that happen. And then after that, it was like this dream phase and, oh my God, I found my community. (laughs) And I did. It's true. But Man, online culture is just not for me. It's not. It's too... Whew, y'all. I don't know. But then after that, after that dream phase is where I am now. The disillusionment where... You know, I never really felt like I fit into the autistic community. And that's why I created The Squad... And that's why I created another small Facebook group that is just a group of women and and those who identify as women. And um, it's a very, very, very small group. And we've kind of kept it that way out of fear of it changing in some way, the dynamic. Um, But besides those two groups that I had to create to kind of feel like I found a community that I could really relate to, and it was all centered around... Allowing people to ask questions um, and be themselves and share openly and without getting attacked and judged and all of that because that's what I really needed and I couldn't find that. And this podcast was all about like really sharing and being real. And social media is not that. I hate that. I hate that. I think especially late diagnosed people who spent their whole lives scared to uncover who they really are, and then they find it, and then they're shamed for even asking questions from the autistic community kind of makes me sick. And I hate it. And I hate it. And just dealing with that crap like over and over and over again and having like me just sharing my point of view and then someone being like, oh, that's messed up and sharing all their verbal diarrhea about it. It's just, it's something that's really hard. But beyond all of that, just in life right now, it's so, so, so uncertain that I just I'm really struggling with, with so many things. And if there's one thing I've realized, it's that I just need a lot more structure. I've lost a lot of structure in my life. And I think that's due to just the whole world changing so much. But I think that it's huge. It's huge for me. And and everyone knows like, okay, autistic people love routines and everything. But when you have ADHD as well, it makes it really hard. Like I do love routines and I'm at my best when I'm, you know, on a strict routine, but it's so hard to maintain that with trauma response and not managing my emotions that well and executive dysfunction and all of that other stuff. So I'm rigid, but I'm also aloof. What kind of sick person allowed one brain to be like that? I don't know. It's so messed up. Arrgh. Anyway, if you love, by the way, the visual support in your scheduling, that Timo app is for you and it's honestly super helped me lately and I know this episode is sponsored by Timo but I promise you I would never lie and the truth is I reached out to Timo they didn't reach out to me they are not uh exploiting my podcast or anything like that for their own gain I have really enjoyed the Timo app so far and it's made a big difference and when I was a kid I didn't realize how visual I was and I never had the opportunity to understand that. And now as an adult, I am trying visual routines with the Timo app and it's been huge. And not only that, my kids are doing it with me and my son's doing the Timo app for his school at home and it's designed for people with ADHD and autism and it helps empower users to schedule the visual routines that work for them. So it's very customizable. And that's been really, really huge for me. And I know that users, other users of the Timo app say that it can actually help reduce their stress and support executive functioning. And I have seen that in myself and my son. So it's really, really cool. So make sure to check it out. Go to www.timoapp.com or just type T-I-I-M-O into the search bar in your app store. I promise I would not suggest this to you guys unless I truly believed it. I have had other sponsors come to me and ask to sponsor the podcast and I have turned it down because I didn't believe in their product, but I truly have really enjoyed making visual routines with the Teemo app. It's been awesome so far. And I'll keep you updated on my little Teemo app journey and maybe even give you some tips or tricks later on with it as I learn it a little better. It's a little, I I had a little bit of a learning curve, I will admit, but after a week or two, um, I'm really enjoying it and noticing a difference in the consistency and just getting on track a little quicker than I used to for sure. So it's been really good. But I've just noticed that the routine has made a huge, huge difference. But like I said earlier, I feel like I'm my best when I'm productive and doing things that I'm passionate about, but also making money. And my business has been shut down. So I I feel like I have a little bit of almost like a seasonal depression, because I can't make sales. And because everything's still shut down here, like all non essential businesses are still forced to shut down. And I'm a professional organizer. So I can't be going into people's homes right now as a non essential business. Um, That's definitely not social distancing. (laughs) So it's been really hard, I I feel like depressed or something, because I'm just not doing anything. I am. I'm actually doing a lot. I mean, I don't I'm doing a lot of content on Patreon and everything. Um so maybe it's just like I'm just not looking at any of this the right way. Like it's not like making money is the only thing that means you're successful, but maybe that's also because I grew up dirt poor. Dirt poor. Like there was times I got nothing for Christmas at all. And I don't remember caring that much about it, but just using it as an example, like I, I think it was just, it, it was hard. So maybe that's why I feel like I'm not successful unless I'm making money. And then at the same time, I really don't care about that. So why would I be depressed about that? I don't know. You guys, life is so confusing. <laughs> I'm so confused about so much, honestly. Honestly. Coronavirus is so weird and I'm just trying, I'm, I'm hoping that there is not a second wave. I'm hoping that my son goes back to school in person in September when the kids go back to school here in Philadelphia. And I hope that my business can start up again soon. And also, I mean, coronavirus came on during my busy season. Uh, so it's killing my sales this year. Last year, I doubled my sales from the previous year. And this year, I am probably, at this point, going to do less than I did two years ago. So feel a little defeated. Um, but most of all, I just want to get out of the house and work again. That's one thing I loved about professional organizing is that I go out of the house and I go to people's houses and I help them. I help them get stuff done, but with my hands, like we, I go and declutter with them. I'm side by side with them and I'm working hard with them. And, and we're like, like sweat equity together. It's great. And I love it. And I haven't had any of that. And I've been active. I, spray painted my bike (laughs) this past week and I've and by the way I got it I got this it's a huffy bike and it's the Panama cruisers the beach cruisers the ones with the big tires that are real comfortable because I'm autistic and I can't ride a bike unless it's like really comfortable or I will die like I can't I have to ride a comfortable bike But I love riding my bike, especially around the city. It's like fun and dangerous and I get my ADHD like impulses out. (laughs) Like I can just be wild and crazy and I don't wear a helmet. I want to wear a helmet, but I can't find any and I haven't ordered one online because I've been avoiding it. Not really sure why. But anyway, I spray painted my bike matte black. It's amazing. It's the bike for me, but I found a really, I think it was like last year or the year before I found a really good deal. And I got this Huffy beach cruiser bike for like $45, which is like amazing. And it, it was never used, but it's like bright, hot pink and green and white and just like the opposite of me in every way. So I had planned for two years to do it. What better time to spray paint your bike than right now when there's nothing else to do? But I've been, the the whole point of this is that I have been doing stuff and getting out and being active. I've been riding my bike more than I normally do and all of that. But there's just something about working for money and working with my hands that just feels good. I don't know if it's just the society I worked in, but I feel like a hundred years ago it would have been the same as like farming. And, you know, your fruit is not money, but it's like food for your family and all that. It's like the same thing. Like I, I, it's all I knew the past couple of years. It's what I did. And I just can't do that anymore. And it's really throwing me off. And, you know, us autistic people don't, don't like that transition, especially when you don't see it coming, and the huge change of routine, and I've been really struggling, and I hope my business survives. If not, you know, I might have to change it up a little bit. We'll see, but to all of you out there who don't have a job right now and are listening to me whine about my own business that probably will continue, I apologize. And I wish you nothing but the best of luck and perseverance and just the ability to overcome these odds. Because I know it's going to be hard, but I know you can do it. And I know we can get through this, but we're going to have to do it together, I think, and look out for each other. It's going to be really hard. I don't know. Like, autistic unemployment rate ha- is the highest of all disabilities and the highest of all populations. Did you know that? Uh, the average autistic person doesn't have a job. Like, more people with Down syndrome have jobs than all autistic people um, as disabilities go. I recently read a study about that, and I did share it on my Instagram, and I shared the source. So anyone who doesn't believe me, that's real, um, but it's true. I think I I think that it's really it's already been rough out there for us. We know that. I have shared a lot about all of my intense job struggles, and I never was able to hold a job until I started my own business. And I know a lot of neurodivergent people that have had to do that out of survival. I would love to find a job where someone just tells me what to do, but I enjoy doing it. (laughs) Does that exist? Maybe not. But anyway, I kind of, well, I did kind of do that myself. I do talk to myself too, like in front of clients. I like say out loud what I have to do and then I answer myself. And I always kind of wondered what my clients really think about me. Do you guys do that? Like, maybe it's just the fact that I really suck at social cues, but I'm always, always in the dark about what someone thinks about me. But I know what they're thinking about everybody else. But not me. How weird is that? Well, I took you clearly (laughs) around the world and back today, and this podcast has absolutely no point to it, (laughs) and I was just sharing about my current hardships of disillusionment and discomfort and uncertainty, and thanks for listening. (laughs) I really appreciate it. Thank you. Good luck to you. I hope you all out there are okay. It's weird podcasting cuz I can't see you or see your responses and I also can't gauge what your life is like. But if you're not okay right now, just please talk to somebody and get help because I'm really struggling and I have a support system of of some sort and I know I'm sure there's people listening that haven't even had the chance to set up their own support system and all of that. And it's really hard to do that when you don't really know how. But if you are struggling right now and you need help, please ask for it. Find somebody. And if it's not the help you want, you got to try again. If it doesn't work the first time, you, you have to keep trying because this is you, your mental health, and your life. So... Please ask for help if you need it. Get that help. Find support if you need it. I'm here to need me. So reach out to somebody. Even if you just reach out to somebody be like, I'm struggling with this. Do you know someone I can talk to or where to get advice or something? I don't know. Just don't give up. I think we're all really struggling right now because everything's so uncertain. But don't give up. I'm not going to give up. I said a lot of negative things, but all it really means is I just need to find my balance again and figure out what's going to work from here, because it doesn't have to always go as planned. You just have to make it work.